Hi everybody, Mark's my name. I'm really glad you're here. I'm one of the pastors at the Alliance Church and uh, welcome. Special welcome to Town Center people, uh, Mariner people, Ethos people, anyone else joining us around the world today. We're really glad that you are here. I really do wish I could meet you in person. And I'm the guy that usually mocks the huggers of our church. Understand now how sad it is to live a hugless life as we stay within the boundaries of, uh, of what our, our medical people are talking about these days. We're trying to stay within those boundaries and yet creatively and with joy stay connected as a church. So we're glad you're here. Today we're going to worship together. We're going to listen to God's word together. We're going to give God our tithes and offerings together and we're going to pray together. In fact, let's pray now. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for technology that allows us to at least do what we're doing here. Lord, we long to be together and we long to be with you. And so as weird as this kind of feels for all of us, we would pray that you would use this for your glory and for our good as we worship and hang out together as the church. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, I encourage you to stand and sing together. It might seem a little weird, but you know what? That's fine. Let's worship. Why don't you sing with us today?
today we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we can declare confidently that you are sovereign, you are in control of all the things that are happening. We thank you that you're a God who is active and who is moving and who's hearing our praise and our prayers and responding. And so we just say, continue to teach us to trust in you, to put our hope in you uh, during these times. We love you. We just look to you and you alone. Let's make this our prayer. Teach me to trust in you in everything I do. Though I may slip and fall, you've never forsaken me. My heart and flesh may fail, but your love never will for you alone, our God. Never forsaken me in you I find my only hope all my delight in you I find rest for my soul strength for this fight all of my faith all my desire I find my courage to stand in the fire Who? Mm-hmm. 
strength for this fight. All of my faith, all my desire, I find my courage to stand in the fire. We find our hope in you today, Jesus. We find our rest in you. We love you. We just continue to seek you with all our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As the band continues to play, uh, we're going to continue in our offering, uh, in our worship through our offering. And um, we're going to look a little different. You're in your homes or wherever you are, but we want to make it really easy for you. So this is part of the ways we worship as a church, as a family. And so if you want to go to cachurch.info, and there's a spot where you can click giving, and uh, you can give your offering there. And so as we play, we're going to give you just a a few moments to collect the offering now, and then we'll continue to worship and hear from the Word. ACA Church, thanks for joining us online for our weekend service. Whether you're self-isolated at home by yourself, with family, or whether you're gathered with your community group, obeying all social distancing rules, of course, we're glad you're here this morning. Our mission at CA Church and the reason we exist is to help seekers and believers become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. In all honesty, in this time of COVID-19, our teams needed to become creative with the way that we do that. So many things we previously took for granted are no longer possible. So we're seeking God to follow his lead and embrace new ways that we can connect with our church and help both seekers and believers to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Here's an update on what things will look like at CA Church during this time. Firstly, we're moving all weekend services to online only and we're suspending all midweek gatherings until further notice. We're not officially canceling community groups at this time, but we are asking that community group leaders use their discretion when deciding if meeting in person is a good idea. If you do meet in person, we urge you to abide by the social distancing recommendations by our health professionals and government authorities. Many community groups are choosing to meet online through this time and they're using Google Hangouts to set that up. If you want help to get that started, if you lead a community group or you participate in one, let us know and we'd love to connect you and help you to do that. If you're not in a community group, again, reach out to us through cachurch.info and we'd love to try to get you connected to a group as soon as possible. 
We're doing our best to release content throughout the week during this time. And one of the ways we're doing that is through releasing a blog. And so our pastoral team will be blogging throughout the week, bringing encouraging content for you to read and to grow in your faith in this time. We're also gonna be having our pastoral team available through Instagram stories, where they'll be bringing short devotionals and just encouraging thoughts for you. Our demographic specific ministries being youth, kids, young adults, and other groups are providing different avenues for you to connect and grow spiritually during this time. I'd encourage you to visit our social media pages to stay up to date with what's going on or go to cachurch.info and click on resources. If you need extra help as a result of COVID-19, we have a team of staff and volunteers who would love to serve you. If you go to cachurch.info or call our office during regular office hours, you'll find information you need in order to request help. Whether that's picking up groceries, prescription pickups, whether you want prayer, or even if you just want someone to talk to and pray with you over the phone, we'd love to serve you however we can. If you wanna join in and serve our community alongside us, we would love that, and you can sign up at cachurch.info. We're also launching some prayer initiatives during this time. Here's a quick video from Joel Mazeros, who's one of our pastoral apprentices, about what's going on in the area of prayer in our church. In light of the cultural moment we are in, we want to really be leaning into the Lord in prayer as a community. God says in 2 Chronicles 7, 13 to 14, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We want to join the Capital C Church in humbling ourselves and seeking the Lord's face for Him to move. So starting this Monday, we will be joining other local churches to pray against anxiety and fear and pray for our medical professionals and our leaders. Also, 7 to 8 p.m., Monday to Friday, we'll be gathering to pray for one another and our community through an online prayer room. It is times like these where we must come together as a unit, as much as possible to support one another and call upon the name of the Lord. So we want to be regularly making a space where we can connect with each other and our Heavenly Father. Check out cachurch.info and click the prayer room link to tune in at 7 p.m. Monday to Friday. Remember, if you need help in this time, our team would love to serve you. You can sign up for that at cachurch.info. Well, that's all for me. Now David Wood is gonna be bringing us a message from God's Word. Well, hello everyone. Uh, my name is David, one of the pastors here. And in fact, I'm the only pastor here. I am preaching to an empty room, uh, which is not ideal. And uh, we live in very difficult times. Um, these are very unusual times. But I'll tell you, I really miss everyone. And I long for the day, I'm looking forward to the day where we can all be together as a church hugging one another, high-fiving one another, welcoming one another, rather than me preach to a camera in an empty room. And so, yes, this is, uh, this is okay, but it's kind of like what FaceTime is. FaceTime is good. You can talk to somebody across, you know, in, in England, or you can talk to somebody in different places, and it works okay, but it's not the same as being with one another. And so we look forward to the day where we can be back together again. That said, uh, I have a message that I want to share with you. Um, at our town center campus, we've been walking through the, uh, the book of Hebrews. And a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity, actually our staff had the opportunity to um, 
have George Guthrie, uh, who's a professor of New Testament at Regent College, come and uh, speak to our staff during a retreat. Now, the cool part was, is George Guthrie, he's, a, he's, a, he's the author of a number of commentaries, but one of the books that he's an expert in is the book of Hebrews. And so uh, he said something really interesting. He didn't speak on the book of Hebrews, but he said something really interesting about the book of Hebrews. And this is what he said. He said, the whole book of Hebrews can be summarized in this one sentence. Perseverance of the faith is directly connected to our clarity of who Jesus is and what he's done. I think that's so important. Uh, you can put it differently. You can say, you know, the quality of the journey is intimately connected to the clarity of the vision. The clearer your vision of Jesus is, the better you're able to live this life that we've been called to live. Um, and so I, I lay that out because my guess is that many of you um, watching this, taking this in, you're, you're, you're struggling. Um, we have had an extraordinary week. And so my question to you today is this. How are you feeling? Are you gripped with fear? Are you overcome with anxiety? We are experiencing something unprecedented in our world right now. It's not just a virus threat, but it's the way, I think it's the way the world is responding. And the way the world is responding is largely through fear. And it's exacerbated through social media. Um, it's exacerbated by our media because fear sells. And it's so easy to, fear, to feel terrified by everything that's going on. And I'll tell you, Personally, this is a battle I've been fighting every single day. And it's easy to get obsessed to go back to the news feeds or to go back to whatever um, information is coming our way and to see if the end of things changed. And it's easy to become obsessed and to feel afraid. All's to say, more than ever, we need a clear vision. And this clear vision of who Jesus is, is what the book of Hebrews is all about. And so the passage we're actually going to look at today is found in the book of Hebrews chapter 8. And so if you have a Bible somewhere on the table or around you, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 8. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 8 verses 7 to 13. And in honor of God's word, let's stand together. Are you standing? I can't tell. Um, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7, says this. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with, my people of, with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is a covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I'll put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Let's pray. God of grace, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you recognizing that we are utterly dependent upon you. Your word is life. Speak life into our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Or some of you were already seated, but that's okay. Um, let's move on. Okay, now we're reading this passage from the book of Hebrews. Um, and it's a bit strange because I don't know if you've noticed that most of this passage is actually found in the Old Testament. Um, we are reading basically from the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. And it's interesting, this is the largest, this is the longest Old Testament passage quoted in the New Testament. And so one of the questions that comes up when we read this is, is a simple one, but um, why, why does the author of the book of Hebrews quote Jeremiah? What's, what's going on here? Well, he's doing what he's been doing throughout the entire book, namely showing this, that Jesus is greater than. He's saying, essentially, and this is the message of the book of Hebrews, why go back to the old covenant when you have Jesus. The new covenant in Jesus Christ is in every way better than the old, the old one. So again, fix your eyes on Jesus. And so what I want to do in our time today is to look at a few questions concerning this passage. One is, <laughs> it's a simple question, what is a covenant? Because it's talking about a new covenant, it's talking about an old covenant. Well, look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this, For if there would be nothing wrong with the first covenant, the old covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Okay? So the author speaks of two covenants. Now, what is a covenant? Well, a covenant, to put simply, is, is, is an agreement, an arrangement, a connection between two parties. Um, in, the, uh, in the original passage in the book of uh, Jeremiah, it's interesting, uh, in this passage, the analogy that's given is the analogy between a husband and his wife. And so it's, a, it's an arrangement, it's an agreement between two parties, but it's, it's not some contractual thing. It is, it is intimate, uh, it is rooted in love, and it's also rooted in commitment. So that's what a covenant is. So what, then, is the old covenant all about? Well, we know that the old covenant was established by God on Mount Sinai, in the book of Exodus, and it was given to the people of God as a gift, right? And we have to remember that. It was, it was, it was premised in grace. I am the Lord your God who um, rescued, you, rescued you out of the land of slavery, brought you out of Egypt. Um, the old covenant uh, was designed to protect and enhance a life of freedom. When one of the themes that we see running throughout the entire Bible is the theme that where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people, right? Now, one of the stories of the Old Testament is this, and it's tragic, is that Israel ends up breaking this arrangement, breaking this covenant over and over again. And by the time you get to the prophet Jeremiah during the time of Josiah, so about 600 years uh, before the book of Hebrews was written, um, things, are, things are pretty grim. Um, national life was collapsing. They're surrounded by threats. And the people, the people of God, are, as a consequence of their sin, on the verge of being sent into exile. So what's that issue here? What's that issue? Well, Hebrews tells us that if the first covenant that God made with his people, if it were faultless, we wouldn't need a new covenant. But there's a problem. There's a problem. So what is the problem with the old covenant? Well, it's not its substance. 
In the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant, the vision is the same. Again, I will be the Lord your God and you will be my people. And, and, and you see this, you see this refrain in Exodus and Leviticus and in 2 Corinthians, right up to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 3. It's the theme of the Bible. God desires to be Lord of your life, to protect and enhance a life of freedom. That you and I, as his people, when we live our lives in sync with God, our lives flourish because we are in sync with the designer of the universe. So the old covenant, it's flawed, not in its content, the law. But what, so what's the flaw? Well, it's our own weakness. That's what it is. That's what's that issue. Because of this weakness, the covenant could not deliver its wonderful promises. So what is this weakness? Well, we read about this in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It says this, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. What was this weakness? It was a weakness of the heart. So now the big question we need to address is this. In what ways is this new covenant that we're, t that we're hearing about, in what ways is it greater than, is it better than the old covenant? Well, we'll just look at a handful of ways. One, the new covenant works on the inside. Look at verse 10 in our passage. Verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after... Um, after that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. See, the issue with the old covenant is that it was largely external. The laws were written on stone and they were given to the people. Again, the law is beautiful. The law is powerful. And it was given to Israel to protect and enhance a life of freedom. But here's the thing. There was no internal power to live out these beautiful promises. Now, sure, they were, they were encouraged. The people were encouraged to memorize. Memorize God's word. And we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Memorize God's word. Keep God's word in your heart. Okay, that, and, that, and that's important. But to memorize God's word is, and, and to have God's word memorized is not the same as having God's word, God's truth in your heart. And you and I, we know this, right? Because how many people do you know, and <laughs> don't point at them if they're in the room, social distance apart, right? Um, you know, how many people do you know who have memorized a lot of scripture but are really annoying? I, there's a lot of people like that. People who, you know, who use God's word because they memorize, they use it as a hammer against other people. Uh, again, I've met my fair share of people who do that. And again, you may know some people like this. Don't point at them. But the point is simply this. Writing truth on the heart requires more than memorizing. Though memorize, memorizing God's word is still important. What is required is a changed heart. Now I came across, it's kind of a cool story this week. And it's about a guy, named, it was a doctor named uh, Christian Bernard. And who is Christian Bernard? He was the first doctor to perform a successful heart transplant. And, um, and he actually does this operation on another doctor. And after the, uh, the uh, transplant was done, um, he went to the other doctor uh, who, was, who was recovering just fine and he says to him, he says, hey, do you want to see your old heart? 
And the, old, and the, the doctor who is recovering, he's like, that's kind of a weird question, but yeah, sure, I'll take a look at it. And so uh, Dr. Bernard, he, he brings in a box the other doctor's old heart. And he says, there it is. And so the, the doctor's holding it, and he's looking at it. And he says, this is my heart. This is the heart that caused me all these problems. And he looks at it. He's like, yeah, I don't want to look at it anymore. And he gives it back, and he walks away. And I like that story because it talks about this desire, this need, this longing for a new heart. And it's captured in the book of Jeremiah. It's actually captured in the book of Ezekiel as well, where Ezekiel talks about the need, not having a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh, a heart that's alive to God. And here's the point in the book of Hebrews. It's a new heart that Jesus gives us. Jesus brings about this new covenant, this new relationship with God the Father where we receive a radically new heart. And God's good law, well, it's written on our hearts. Yes, there's still a battle going on with our, with our old sinful nature for sure. But here's the thing. When we come to Jesus, when we give our life to Jesus, uh, when our vision is fixed on Jesus, something happens. Our heart, our hearts change. Now, I remember... I remember over 25 years ago when I gave my life to Jesus, when I asked Jesus to be Lord of my life, I mean, something changed. My heart changed. And it's interesting, um, prior to, uh, to me coming to faith, I remember, as some of you may know, I, I lived overseas. I lived in China for a number of years. Well, during that time period, I actually went back to Canada for a week. And uh, man, I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. I was a heavy drinker. Um, chain smoker, full of anger. And I remember when I came back to Canada, um, I had to renew my license. And I, I got my license done, and so I had to get your license picture. And I remember looking at that picture, and my eyes were as black as coal. And I was a mess. And around that time, a buddy of mine, he gave me a Bible. And I, and I tried reading it, and it was as dull as dirt. And I like reading. I like reading. But I read the Bible, and it's like, man, this stuff is boring. And I fast forward a year. And when I asked, when I asked Jesus into my, into my heart, when I, asked, when I gave my life to Jesus, things changed. People said my eyes changed. My, my affections changed. The things that, that mattered to me changed. And one of the things that happened is I, my same friend, because I threw out the old Bible, he gave me another Bible. Uh, and I started reading it. I was like, man, is this the same book? Because it was alive. The words were jumping off the page. It was alive. Now, what's the difference? It was my heart. And that's what, you know, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. When he says anyone who's in Christ, he's a new creation. He or she is a new creation. So the new covenant is better in the sense that uh, it works on the inside. We get a new heart. But it also, it also is better because in a very deep and profound way, we get God. Look at verse 10. Again, it says, I will put my law on their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Again, this is a theme of the entire Bible. But it becomes perfectly fulfilled in the new covenant. In the new covenant, we are brought inside God's kingdom purposes. We get God because God gets us. God, the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell within us. And when we turn to Jesus, God's very presence, his empowering presence lives within us. And so we are his people and he is our God in a very intimate way. 
He guides us. He comforts us. He's, he's alive within us. And he's transforming us. When we are suffering, he comforts us by reminding us he's present in our struggles. And he even prays for us when you and I don't have words to pray. And now you see how this deepens what the old covenant offered. In a very profound way, in Jesus, you and I belong to God. And what Romans 8 also reminds us is that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And that's a powerful, powerful promise. The third thing that the new covenant brings about is this, is that you and I can know God personally. Look at verse 11. It's really interesting. It says, No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. In the old covenant, God was known corporately. Israel belonged to God as a nation, as a people, even though there may be people within the people of God that didn't really pay attention to God. In the new covenant, something changes. Because of Jesus Christ, the initiator of the new covenant, you and I are invited to know God personally. We can know him even as we are known. And to know, to know God personally does not mean that we know God individually. There's, there's an important difference. There's no room in the Bible for me and Jesus. I can just worship Jesus by being online, right? <laughs> Well, I mean, we can, but that's not the vision of the church. The vision of the church is that we're in this together. And that's, that's my struggle with, with what's going on right now, um, because we need to be together. See, the picture of the new covenant is a picture of a new community, a new people, but a people who personally, from the least to the greatest, can know and be known by God. And that was Martin Luther's big insight in 1517. Martin Luther said, by grace through faith, we can know God and we can be rescued by God. And so from the, the farmer in the field or the milkmaid, every person from the highest to the lowest, we can all be reconciled to God, the Father through Jesus Christ. We can know God and be known by God. And this is a game changer. I mean, it... it I mean, part of the Christian life is, I think, part of the Christian life is, is learning to believe what you say you believe. And so I've I, I known a long time that, uh, that I can know God and he knows me. But I remember about 12 years ago, I was going through a bit of a crisis. And one of uh, this, uh, a help, this friend of mine, um, he just spoke simple truth into my life. And he just said, well, do you realize that Jesus actually knows who you are? He knows everything about you? My name? And he just said my name? And that's the thing we all know, but do we really know? Do we really believe this? That Jesus knows, and, and say your name, he knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows your life in the past. He knows, he knows your, your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows everything about you. He knows everything that's going to happen to you. This is a powerful, powerful truth that you and I can call Father, the one who flung the stars into space. And so there are response, and like in this passage, our response is we can say to people who don't know Jesus, say, hey, know the Lord. Or we can say to our brothers and sisters who know the Lord, say, hey, know him deeper. Believe the things that you say you believe. Believe them right in your heart. And that leads us to our last point. The new covenant is better in that you and I can experience forgiveness. Look at verse 12. 
For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now again, forgiveness is not novel to the new, it's not new just to the New Testament. God forgives in the Old Testament. It's his very character to forgive. I mean, in the book of um, Micah, in Micah chapter 7, uh, if you can't find Micah, it's, it's right next to Nahum. Um, that's a joke. Everybody should have been laughing, but there's nobody here. Uh, okay, he says this. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You see that, but in the New Covenant, Forgiveness is actually written into the terms of agreement. And I, if I could be so bold, I would say that forgiveness in the new covenant is a different kind of forgiveness. You see, in the old covenant, there was forgiveness, yes, but every year you'd be reminded of your sins. Every year, what you had done had been brought up and a sacrifice had to be made. Sacrifice had to be made. Uh, your sins were declared and placed upon a scapegoat and it was driven away. But the problem is, is every year you'd be reminded of your sins. And that's what Hebrews chapter 10, look at Hebrews chapter 10, just one page ahead. Verse 3 says, those sacrifices in the Old Covenant are an annual reminder of sins. They're an annual reminder of our sins. And that was a problem because what happens when you break the covenant? What happens when you sin? How do you get back into the covenant? Well, I don't know, you... You try to, try to return to God's law and follow his law, but what happens when you mess up? I mean, this is, this is the question. I mean, the big question is this. How do you live your life before a holy God? How do you live? Usually it's one of three ways. On our own, we, we, um, we realize that we can't live up to God's standards, so we try to live slightly better than our neighbor. <laughs> So it's like, you know, compared to my neighbor, I'm doing pretty good, right? Or, or we pretend that we're okay. We, we pretend that we're holy. But we all know what that brings. That brings about masks, where we, it brings a lot of hypocrisy, where we're acting a certain way in one day, but in our private life, we act completely different. Or it leads to despair, saying, man, there's nothing I can do to live up to God's standard, so I may as well walk away, right? That's the challenge. At the end of the day, we need forgiveness. But here's the thing. Forgiveness, true forgiveness, is tied to memory. Now, there are some people I know who have really good memories. There's people I've read about in history have really good memories. I, I read about this one missionary in China who could uh, recite the New Testament forward and backwards in Chinese. That, that's a good memory. But here's the thing. That's nothing compared to God's memory. God does not forget anything, and that's an uncomfortable truth. All we've done in thought, word, or deed, God knows and he remembers. And that's what makes the new covenant so much better. Because what does it say? For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. How does God do this? How does he... Forgive our sins so he doesn't remember them anymore. Well, we read in the New Covenant, a sacrifice has been offered once and for all. 
And we know that because of the cross, we know that Jesus has sacrificed himself once and for all on our behalf. And what better sacrifice there can there be? What more perfect sacrifice can there be than God himself? And what better substitute for you and me than God the Son, the Word become flesh? Jesus dies on our behalf once and for all. But he doesn't stay dead. He's raised to new life and now offers us forgiveness, true forgiveness, where all of our sins all the things we do that we shouldn't do, all the things that we haven't done that we ought to have done, all of our sins are nailed to the cross, are forgiven and forgotten by the one who matters most, God. So what does this mean? Well, Jesus Christ, the establisher of the new covenant, in him, you and I experience full forgiveness. We are set free to live the lives that we are created and redeemed to live. And brothers and sisters, that's why the new covenant is so much better. And it brings us back to a recurring theme in Hebrews. If you have Jesus, why go back? Why go back to the old covenant? I mean, that's what it says right at the very end. He says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Jesus, in, in, in every way imaginable, is greater than. So let me leave you with this. Where, where is your vision these days? The quality of the journey is connected to the clarity of the vision. Where are you fixing your attention? You and I are called to live in light of this reality. And I'll tell you, man, this, this cultural moment, this what we're experiencing right now is really an opportunity for us as followers of Jesus Christ to put our faith to the test and ask ourselves the, the difficult question, do I really believe what I say I always believe? Who is Lord of my life? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Or is it Jesus? Allow the truths of Jesus Christ to shape your heart during these difficult days. Man, I got so many more things to say, but I see that my time is done. So let me close in prayer, and uh, you carry on with your day. Let's pray. Jesus, you are greater than. You're better than. And the quality of the journey is connected to the clarity of our vision of you. Lord, as the old hymn says, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Lord, our desire is to have our eyes fixed upon you. And we lay that before you, and we pray that the vision of you would shape our lives and what we think and what we do all week long. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us today for our online weekend service. We wanna carve out some time right now for prayer. If you're in isolation by yourself, at this time, I'd encourage you to call a friend. If you're with family, with friends, or if you're with your community group, then just take the next five, 10, or 15 minutes to pray together. We're gonna to have a few prayer needs on the screen, and I'll just walk through them with you right now. The first being the health and safety of our church family and those in our community. Secondly, for those who are working in the healthcare profession, that God would protect them as they serve. Third, for the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. And then lastly, take a few minutes to pray for the needs of those in your group, in your family, or other needs you know of people in our church. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy this prayer time together, and we'll see you soon. God bless.